Welcome to this episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. Join Katie and Riley as they discuss memoirs and why they like them. Listen in as they talk about death, ills, families, ships, and more. So stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Stacks and Stories. I'm Katie, and I'm usually behind the computer editing this and or telling people that they're being too quiet. Shove that microphone in their face. And I am here today with Riley. Hey, Riley. Hi, Katie. And we are talking about memoirs. So what there's all sorts of different like types of memoirs. What type do you find yourself particularly drawn to? I really like to read the memoirs of people who have very different lives than me. Mm-hmm. I really like, you know, people talk about like the concept of showing children like mirrors and windows and doors and stuff. Like I think that we should keep doing that for the rest of our lives until we die. And I very much like looking into windows of other people's lives right. and just seeing what that's like, you know, because you can't live every single life. You, you get one, but you can read other people's and like experience it through that. Yeah, we joke a lot for me about how my reading taste is all just like nonfiction and bummers. And that does kind of extend to my (laughs) memoir choices, which just because it's that same sort of thing of like looking into different people's lives Mm -hmm. and seeing what could, what has happened to them, how they react to it, like how I might react to it if something like that happens to me. I will admit, though, there is one type of memoir that I do not read, and I suspect you don't either. (laughs) I don't think we'll be talking about sport books in here. No, no. (laughs) Because that's definitely, it seems like every every famous person has a memoir that is usually ghostwritten. And for the sport guys, they especially seem (laughs) ghostwritten. And there's always a new one that comes out every year. And I am not a big sports person. I keep up with teams. I don't keep up with people. So there are no sport books on my list. Yeah, me neither. I don't even really keep up with teams. (laughs) So I feel you. Um, But I'm sure that there are a ton of really cool sports memoirs out there. I just have not read any of them because that is not where my interests lie. Get in the comments if you have any neat sport books that we will not read. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe other people reading the comments will appreciate the recs. So, do you want to go first, or should I go first for our recommendations? I am happy either way. What do you feel? I will go first this time. All right. Uh, so, one of the genres, aside from nonfiction and bummers, I really like to read manga. Ooh, and yeah. there are a lot of good manga memoirs out there, because, like, usually with these memoirs, you'll have someone who is publishing just, like, short little autobiographical comics on websites mm-hmm. like Pixiv or things like that. And then they get interested. They pick up a deal. They publish a short little volume. Uh, two authors that I'm not going to talk about, but I think people should read anyway, are uh, Nagatakabi and Hara, but one of whom focuses on just, like, grappling with alcoholism and mm-hmm. depression. And the other one focuses on being plus size in Japan. Okay. But the book that I want to recommend, which it's a bummer, but it's (laughs) a bummer with good 
vibes. Mm -hmm. The title is, I'm a terminal cancer patient, but I'm fine. Uh, The author's name is Hilnama. And it is, she is exploring her, she gets a terminal cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. She gets colon cancer. And so she uses the manga to explore what the stages of how she got this diagnosis, what it's like being in the hospital, all of the things that you have to do and have to think about when you get that terminal cancer diagnosis. But she's very upbeat throughout it all. You can tell that she's writing and publishing this manga like after she has come to terms with the diagnosis. So while there are some moments of yo, I was not expecting this. I'm going to grapple with my feelings for a bit. It's a lot more just like matter of fact about what she's doing, what she needs to happen. And like some of those matter of fact things are bummers because the author is estranged from her parents. Mm -hmm. And so she talks about how you need the support system for this, but she had to make sure to tell her husband and her husband's sister, hey, under no circumstances can you contact my parents about this. But it's a very unique look at like that sort of diagnosis because you could easily see it going into like lifetime original movie territory. But she handles the whole thing with like such grace and a little bit of humor Mm -hmm. that it is a very... It's a fun read, despite the fact that the title is I'm a terminal cancer patient and I'm fine. (laughs) Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Like that. Who did you say that the author was again? Uh, Hilnama. Her name is spelled H-I-L-N-A-M-A. I've got a physical copy of the book at my house if you want me to lend it to you. Hey, absolutely. It's really slim. It's only like 150 pages. Okay, yeah. You could could blitz through that in a night and then want to eat a whole tub of ice cream after. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, That, it's so funny. Uh, One of my memoirs is also very focused on the concept of death and dying and had some super bummer moments in it um but it was very good that's Um, your bummer (laughs) yeah so it's called um the smoke gets in your eyes and other lessons by caitlin um daughtry dodie i think dodie i love her so much she's She's phenomenal she is well it was so funny i had um like a total aha moment when i was reading the book i looked her her name up uh because i was just you know curious to put a, a face to her and I realized, like, I'd seen her on YouTube a couple times before. I follow, like, I'd seen I follow some her on YouTube. Videos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for the um, the unacquainted listening, um, Caitlin Doty is a uh, she's a mortician. She's a writer, and her memoir is about her job uh, as a mortician, um, starting at the age of twenty three, working in a crematorium. And she talks about just like all of the behind the scenes stuff at her job. She talks about how it changed her views of death. Um, Should I just like get into it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So she, her life story is like super interesting. She talks about how when she was a little girl, she witnessed another kid die in an accident firsthand. And it just really... It was a very traumatizing experience. It really, like, shaped her view of 
death and dying. She was like, that was my introduction to mortality. So she says that, like, she became obsessed with death. She developed, like, OCD around it, essentially. Um, and she got into it as a career. And it was just so interesting to hear, like, her takes on on it. Like, she talks a lot about... Um, I'm so glad that you read this book, too. It's, like, so good. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you did. Yeah, well, I have... have I haven't read, I've read that one ages ago, right, but I yeah. follow her on YouTube and mm-hmm. I read her most recent book, uh, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Yes, <laughs> I saw that last one year. That one's so cute. I'm going to have to listen to that one too, because I really loved um, this one. I haven't gotten around to reading that one. Um, but like a, a core part of it is she feels like people are very like, um, sh- sheltered from death and very shielded from death. She's like, so much of funeral practice is covering up the death part, is like sugarcoating, um, sugarcoating it essentially. And she talks about how she really wants to sort of reform the funeral industry. She feels like a lot of it is a racket, and um, which it is. Uh, <laughs> she like, it was so interesting. Like she talked about the history of embalming, which I knew a little bit about because I read a book on like the Civil War and how it affected um, Americans' view of death. Um, and I just think that like different cultural practices surrounding death are super, super fascinating. And the fact that it's like one of those things that different groups of people can view entirely differently. I just think that's so cool. Um, yeah, it was just a really good book. It was, like, very, very philosophical, very funny in places. Um, I really loved she talked a lot about, um, like, all of the preparations and stuff that people put into things. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are, like, equal when they, right. like, you know, everyone is dead the right. same. Like, you're, you're all going to be decomposing exactly. in the same way. Yeah, yeah, she talks a lot about, like about decomposition and about how, um, you know, so much of funerary practices are, like, staving off any of that, like, natural process and how we're so, like, terrified of it and we associate it with, like, like, it's going to hurt us if we, like, allow it to, like, it's it's unhealthy or something. It's just a really, really good book. <laughs> and I will now have to read um, – Will my cat eat my eyeball? <laughs> she's also she's also got a podcast. Oh. She and a couple of other uh, members of the organization she's a part of, the Order of the Good Death. Yeah, they yeah. did a podcast. Uh, they haven't had any new episodes for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. I'm the sort of person who, when I find an old podcast, I download all the old episodes and just blitz through all of them. <laughs> right? yeah. But it's called Death in the Afternoon, and it's got the same sort of like vibe as like her youtube videos and will my cat eat my eyeballs where it's like here are a couple like each episode has like some bite-sized stories involving like death or the funeral industry yeah or things of that nature that's so cool i really like i loved how transparent she was about everything right. like, there were a few moments where i was like very grossed out but i was like that's good like i think it's good that i know this you right. know because it's well it's like everyone's going to experience this at some point whether it is experiencing the death of someone else or dying themselves so yeah it's just a super interesting book i have i have such an academic crush on her like i love (laughs) caitlin doty so much (laughs) she's so interesting i i really need to watch more of her youtube videos oh that's great i've watched a few of the ones on like the um the embalming process Mm -hmm. like what goes into it because i just i think that's super interesting 
So another book that it's kind of kind of still well, it's got die in the title, hey. even though the book is more about like mental illness mm. and therapy and things like that. But the title of the second book that I want to talk about is it's another one with a very fun title. Okay. Uh, it's called I Want to Die, But I Want to Eat Tteokbokki by a Korean author named <gasps> Baek Sehi. Yeah. Have you heard of this one? I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but I'd seen the cover of it in Barnes & Noble, and I thought it was so cute. It's got such a good cover. Yes. But so this book, it's uh, Baek Sehi. She's a rising publicist at a literary firm. Mm-hmm. She's Things are going good in her life, but she has like this persistent low-grade depression Mm. and this memoir it's got a really interesting structure because like half of it is literally her conversations with her therapist like written out in like dialogue form Mm -hmm. and you know when reading it it's like okay yeah obviously some of this is a little bit embellished in some places but enough of it is so real that you it's definitely like, oh, she's she's not trying to make herself look good. Right, yeah. <laughs> this is 100% someone who is laying bare, like, her struggles with self-image, her mm. struggles with depression, her feelings of, like, worthlessness and things like that. Mm. So about half the book is just transcripts of the conversations between her and her therapist. Mm. And then after each chapter is a short little personal essay written by... Uh, about this the concepts that her and her therapist were talking about mm-hmm. it does get a little bit self-helpy at times which yeah. i know like some of the three-star good reviews were like girl stop therapying at me right yeah <laughs> but I, I like a little self-helpy book yeah yeah and i like the fact that she is just so blunt and open and mm-hmm. does not sugarcoat these things she will say stuff like yeah I feel X, Y, Z when I see this and I, or yeah, this is something that I am doing that I know is harmful, Mm. but I just keep on doing it. Yeah. And then we'll be chatting with her therapist about, okay, here's why you might be feeling this. Here's why you might be going about things this way. And because it's like a therapy memoir, it doesn't get like a nice little bow tied up at the end because yeah. that never happens with therapy. It's always a continuing process. Yes. But you do get to see how she's grown as a person and how she's learned to like accept herself, flaws and all. Another really interesting thing is that the end of the book is a couple of just personal essays that mm. you can tell kind of got shoved in at the book because, oh, this is... This probably got published somewhere. We don't really know where else to put it. Mm. But there's a note from the therapist as well, where it's a very little short note, but it's a note from the therapist about how the process of, like, the book's becoming came into existence. Because if you're publishing the conversations between yourself and your therapist, Mm -hmm. you got to get permission from the therapist. Yeah, And so it's a very interesting just couple of brief little pages where you get the therapist talking about like, yeah, I wish that I could have said some things a bit differently. Looking back at this, Pat, looking back at some of these things, I was like, oh, you went about that the wrong way or something like that. Mm. But it was a really interesting, I loved those two pages because it's like, yeah, your therapist is a person also. Yeah, Your therapist is gonna like 
make some of the same mistakes or like trip over their own tongue like literally everybody else does yeah but it's a very very good book and I quite enjoyed it even if the copy that I bought has on the cover in big text one of the members of BTS really likes this Get out of here. Like the hit therapy memoir recommended by BTS's RM. But I'm like, oh, I know why you put that on the cover. But <laughs> the phrase, the hit therapy memoir, is just so bloody. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yep. That sounds amazing, though. I mean, I, 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 that's so unique. I don't think I've ever heard of a therapy memoir You're before. Right. That's super, that almost makes me think of like, like a, a more, re- maybe a more relatable version of like, you know, like the Tuesdays with Maury where right. he's like publishing all of their like intense right. like conversations and it just feels so intimate. Mm-hmm. I love like, you know, I always think of like a memoir as being like one person, but right. a memoir as a conversation is mm-hmm. a really interesting concept and in a way like almost feels more intimate than just one person because it's like you're being brought into that conversation. Right. Yeah, there's a couple of I didn't write I didn't write this down on my list of books, but I do know that there are a couple of like letter collections that mm. I've read mm-hmm. and that kind of just has the same sort of feel as like a memoir because yeah. people are more cuz like with memoirs like you're writing this with the expectation of being published mm. with like some letter collections you're not. Right. And so you do get like the sort of boots on the ground, sort of like someone is complaining about like this one tiny little nitty gritty thing that right. you would complain to with like your friends in a letter. Yeah. But if you're publishing your book to have a wide distribution all over the place, you might just cut out that little part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true with the letters. I had to read several letter collections for um like a a paper I wrote forever ago and um reading people's letters is so so intimate like there was one um I cannot remember her last name but her she was a civil war nurse named Charlotte and it was a collection of all of her letters home to her mom and her sisters and her friends and it was so interesting to read like the tonal changes in the different letters like how she wrote to her mom versus how she wrote to like her childhood best friend um, and the things that she felt were important to include. And uh, the way that she she would be like, we had this for dinner. 50 people died today. We, uh, and then I wore this dress that you sent me. And the, like, it was just insane to read. Um, oh. Yeah, I hadn't thought about different formats of memoirs before mm-hmm. and, until you sort of brought that up. But that is like just a different type of memoir. Yeah, one of the letter collections that I have that I've read, it's one about a bunch of it's it's a boat book. Wow, what a surprise. Who would have guessed it from Katie? (laughs) (laughs) But it's a collection of letters from a group of sailors before they went off on a naval expedition that like vanished into thin air. No one ever heard from it ever again. Awesome. And so you have it's very tragic in a way because mm. you know no one knows what happened to these men. Yeah. But you have all these letters where it's like, I really want to get on this boat. I really want to be lieutenant. Aww. Or like, I can't believe that I'm stuck on this boat. I don't like the captain. Why are we doing Aww. this? Said love to mom. Right. 
Oh, man. I brought a second book to also talk about. Um, This is one that I read a longer time ago than Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, but it is one that I uh, find myself thinking about a lot. It's uh, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, and I... Uh, typically don't read a lot of celebrity memoirs. Um, I don't know why. I just don't tend to pick them up. I think it's kind of like the same thing as like the sport memoirs where yeah. it's like, who's your ghostwriter? Right, like, right. But at least with, with comedy guys, you could tell that they have such a unique voice where oh, it's like, yeah. you wrote that yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, have you ever read uh, this book? I know of it. Yeah. But I, if you like, pointed a gun at my head and said give a synopsis of the book I think I could do it but I have not actually read it myself no that is so yeah I read it for a class on South Africa that I took in college um and I've reread it since and it is just so fascinating to read because it's like um like a time capsule almost of like 90s apartheid South Africa through the eyes of like an individual and I think that reading through big like historical and cultural events through the eyes of one person can tell you so much more than reading like an objective history like historical record of it you know um it's a super interesting memoir um trevor noah was born in south africa in the 80s during apartheid Um, his mother was a black uh, kosa woman and his father was a white swiss man who lived in south africa And so he was born a crime because that was illegal at the time. And it's just so insane. He talks about so many of the obstacles that he faced growing up. And they're so just like, like unimaginable. Like the stuff he talks about, like his mother had to pretend to be the family's maid when they were out in public in order for him not to be separated from her. Like he talks about when he was little, he wasn't allowed to play outside. Uh, because they were worried that the police would come by and just like seize him from the family and they would have no legal recourse to get him back because he was a crime um and just reading about that sort of thing like going on in such recent history is like insane to read about uh but he he talks a lot about sort of the lessons that he learned growing up um just sort of witnessing the banality and like how arbitrary um the sort of thing is you know he's like like the the sort of thing that he was um that he had to face like the 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 racism that was going on at the time he talks about like this um pencil test that went on at the time in South Africa where um you would be defined as black legally if a pencil stayed in your hair when you put it in your hair like due to the texture like they would like make deter- like legal determinations that affected your entire life based on arbitrary like physical attributes that you had um and like reading that from the point of view of someone whose entire life was affected by like stupid rules like that is just very like really hits home how like pointless that sort of thing is right and you really like feel his anger in like he was like my whole life was like shaped by this you know and it's just stupid um but he talks a lot about like his own life um it's largely about his relationship with his mother who is like such a character um she 
he, he talks a lot about how, like, he didn't understand a lot of the things that she did when he was growing up, but now that he's an adult, he can look back on it with, like, empathy and new perspective. Um, and I think that's just a very, like, universal thing for people to, right. to relate to, talking about, like, the, the, the alternate perspective they have on their parents now. When you're yeah. a kid, you view mom and dad as just mom and dad. When you grow up, it's like, oh, you're a person. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. an actual person. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this is my mom who was doing all this stuff I didn't understand. Right. He's like, now I recognize, like, you know, she was up against all this, like, mm-hmm. crazy stuff. And um, he talks about um, his mother was in an abusive relationship with his stepfather for a long time. And he talks a lot about, like, um, he speaks about, like, what women go through with a lot of empathy. Um, He speaks a lot about uh, how, like, his mom sought, like, every recourse that she could, like, to basically get out of the situation, but she couldn't really do anything. And he's, like, he he sort of highlights, like, how this is a problem. Like, I, I, I feel like he did a good job of using his life experiences to teach a lesson Mm -hmm. in his story like he was like this is what i experienced this is what i witnessed and here's why it was so wrong and here's how other people are also experiencing this right now um and i just felt like it was a really i just love this book it's just so good (laughs) I have had a lot of people tell, talk to me about this book and say that they really liked it. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I will get off my butt and actually it's read one, it myself. One of those books where you're, I have so many books like that where right. I'm like, one day I'll read it. That's on my, that's on my shelf. <laughs> right. Right. I have one more book that yes. I brought brought up. It's another sort of like grappling with your parent mm-hmm. or not really grappling but like talking with and learning about your parent mm-hmm. but also has a little bit of other context yeah this is this one's really interesting because it's another talking going all the way back to like weird weird types of memoirs this mm-hmm. one is part memoir part like pop history okay it's called the book of eels by patrick svensson okay and so half of it is just a layman's history of the eel, which is a very weird creature that for the longest time, nobody knew how they reproduced. Yeah. And nobody knew, like, how they did it. And so you have all these, like, Sigmund Freud got his start, like, examining eels, trying to figure out how <laughs> they made eel babies. <laughs> and you've got all of these scientists and all of these stories about how people are trying to figure out what's the deal with eels because they don't know how they reproduce eels will they all have like a homing sense in their brain where they know to swim to one particular place in the sargasso sea okay where they do their business and then they die (laughs) (laughs) so life is hard for the eel oh my gosh (laughs) they have one goal Basically. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but so half of it is about that. But then the other half is uh, Patrick talking about his relationship with his father. Okay. Because he and his father lived in Sweet, live in Sweden. Mm. And as a child, Patrick and his father would go out and hunt eels, Ooh. which... Now there are a lot more laws about that because eels are basic, basically endangered everywhere. Oh, okay. 
And so to the point where people, oh, we're going to try and do like commercial fish farming for eels so yeah. we can make them unendangered. And it doesn't work. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Whatever is up with eels means Poor that eels. they have trouble making babies in captivity. So, <laughs> but half of it is him talking about his relationship with his father and how they would go out and hunt for eels and how he would learn more about his father when they were out there together, like in the river at like 1 a.m. Right. (laughs) And it's a just sort of back and forth about just here is a history about these weird critters that Mm. we don't know much about. And then here is me me, Patrick, learning about, like, coming to see my father as a person mm-hmm. and treating him, learning to view him as as a person, as yeah. someone who isn't just a dad. Mm-hmm. And it's very sort of, if you've ever read H's for Hawk with, by Helen mm-hmm. Gosford, it's also very good and also has that same sort of vibe yeah. where, but with that one, half of it is like, Let's learn about birds. Mm-hmm. And the other half is my dad is dying. I love that Which, sort of thing. Yeah. I, I love the like paralleling like nature with mm-hmm. love it. And I don't know what it is about nature memoirs, but there are a lot of good ones out there. Yeah. So yeah, that's all that I have brought to the table today. Yep, that's about all I've brought to. Yeah. It's really been fun talking with you just like piecing out like all the different like types of memoirs what we like what we don't like yeah this has been a lot of fun i've really enjoyed this so just before we wrap this up are there any other memoirs that you've read before that might be upcoming that you are interested in or you think that people might be interested in just rapid fire off the top of your head um i don't know any memoirs coming out that people might be interested in. Um, I will say if you, uh, this is kind of not like, it's like a sort of answering your question in like a like a way off over their way. Go for it. That still <laughs> um, counts. Anyone interested in like anything like historical, you will find so much in people's, like so much more in people's memoirs than you think you will. Like they will just offhandedly mention stuff going on in the background of their lives. And you're like, oh, that's really interesting historical context. So if you're a huge nerd like me and like you want to learn about like antebellum America, read the narrative life of Frederick Douglass instead of just like an objective history book on it. Um, so that's just, those are my feelings on memoirs. I love historical memoirs. Right. Yeah, there's this one famous British guy whose name I, I think it's Samuel Pepys, but it could be wrong, who kept like a daily diary yeah. for his entire life in like the 1600s. So he'll have entries where it's like, well, this famous event happened today. Yeah. That's just one sentence long. And then the next <laughs> sentence is like, let's talk to my sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't. Another, I this one just came off. Men was just I just thought of off the top of my head because I was, as I said this question, I started spitballing myself. But yeah. there is a going back to that idea of like ordinary people dealing with historic events. Mm-hmm. There's a really good graphic novel about uh, Hurricane Katrina. Ooh. It's called uh, A.D. After the Deluge, oh, and wow. it f- focuses on like five different people in the New Orleans area. Mm-hmm. They all they come from all different walks of life. Right. Talking about like how 
exploring their experiences during Katrina mm-hmm. as also just like post Katrina yeah. when you surprise you don't have a house anymore or mm-hmm. surprise you have to deal with FEMA and regulations yeah. and all that jazz and it is I read that one ages ago but that one also is a very good graphic novel yeah whose authors I don't remember off the top of my head we will put in the description <laughs> oh talking about graphic novel memoirs um I know she's kind of a classic but um Oh, Raina, um, I oh, can Raina never... Oh, Raina Telgemeier. Yes, I so good. love her stuff. To anyone listening who is looking for something good for uh, middle grade readers especially, I loved her stuff in middle school especially. I loved Smile. Smile is Such so a good. Such a good memoir. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. I love how, like, she's so relatable. I love, just love the way that she, like, tells her, her life. She, you know... Just sort of, like, tells it like it was in just a very, like, I don't know, like, very cute, relatable way. Mm -hmm. Like, talking about, um, like, fighting with her sister and stuff and dealing with, like, kind of snaky friend groups and uh, her obsession with The Little Mermaid because it was the 1980s. (laughs) It's just so cute. Yeah, I love that book. There are so many good graphic novel memoirs. Like really are. You've got your classics, like your fun homes and your Persepolises, but then... You've also got things like Smile that, like, a lot of people might just overlook because it's, like, for mid- it's middle grade. It's targeted right. to smaller kids. But, like, that's still good. It it's, still counts. Yeah, it's still very, very good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for chatting memoirs with me today. Thank you for I chatting memoirs with me. I have had such a lovely time. And I will bring my copies of the books that I'm going to lend you to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Katie. I think I still have... Camp Damascus. I've still not read it. It's okay. Whatever. It's how it is with lending books out. You have like, everyone has a stack of like five unread books that they've got. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.